Welcome into this week's edition of the Bama Baseline Podcast. I'm James Fletcher alongside Luke Ratliff once again. We are bringing you a brand new show. We're going to recap the Clemson game from last Saturday. We'll talk about what went down in Atlanta. Uh, then we'll get you ready for tonight's game against Furman. We're going to try to get this podcast out as quick as possible so that you can uh, listen to that breakdown and be ready. Uh, for tip-off tonight. Then we will talk to you about Western Kentucky, which is a rescheduled game in place of the Houston matchup. We're all sad that we won't get to see Kelvin Sampson and the Cougars, but they are still dealing with COVID issues. Uh, So no Houston Cougars on Saturday, but we will get to see Rick Stansberry and the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. Uh, When we take a break, we'll come back and talk about Keontae Johnson, his horrible injury in the Florida-Florida State game this weekend. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Nate Oates apologizing to Coach K. Uh, Should he have apologized? Should he have said what he said in the first place? We'll get into that. And then in our last segment of the day, we will do our list, and we will also go over Luke's notes. Luke, welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be back on, uh, especially after this college basketball weekend. Uh, a lot, like you said right there, lots and lots of things happening. Lots of things did happen, uh, some unfortunate, uh, especially for us very selfishly. Alabama lost to Clemson, who is proving themselves to be the best defensive team in the country, uh, most certainly the best defensive team in their conference. And uh, – other things, like you touched on Keontae Johnson from Florida, uh, who, very unfortunate what happened to him and the thoughts and prayers, of course, with him and his family and the Florida team uh, at this moment as they come back over that. But, James, let's talk about the aforementioned Clemson game Saturday night in Atlanta, the holiday hoops giving. Uh, what is it? MT, they're calling them MTEs now. MTEs, I don't like. yes. I, I remember when they just we just called them by their name. Right. Yeah. Call it the holiday hoops giving. Or a preseason tournament, which was inaccurately named, but we got we got Clemson on Saturday. Clemson top twenty-five Clemson Tigers, by the way. Now I believe they come in twenty-fourth in the AP rankings. Uh, But this Clemson game was we knew what it was going to be. It was going to be defense versus offense. Uh, Could Clemson shut down Alabama? Could Alabama uh, get into a rhythm against Clemson? Clemson ended up winning that battle. They, they really stopped Alabama from doing what they wanted to do the whole game. I mean, it took them, what was it, 35 minutes almost <laughs> to hit a three-point shot. Uh, it was a long time. You would go through such big scoring droughts, and it's so hard to win a basketball game when you go through those. But it was encouraging to see how Alabama responded on the defensive end of the floor uh, maybe the best defensive performance we've seen out of uh, an Alabama team in recent memory. So what were, what were your takeaways from the game against Clemson? Well, it's exactly – you touch on it right there. It's exactly what we expected Clemson to do was play their brand of defense. Now, we didn't know how it was going to react against NATO's offense, but Clemson's defense was superb. It's the best I've seen uh, from an ACC team this year. And they're ranked now, and they should have been long before. They got three quality wins under their schedule so far, uh, under the belt so far. But a, a shining light here, and you touched on it right there, was how well Alabama played on defense. 
that was the story of the well, not the story of the game, but that was the something you can take away from that. A lot of people watch that game, and you know, Alabama, of course, zero for twelve from three going into the uh, last 10, 15 minutes of the game. Just uncharacteristic shooting. Like, Jayton Shackelford, bless his heart, five points, didn't make a single three-pointer. Nothing seemed to fall. And that was a story for the team on offense. Uh, hard to find open shots. Whenever you did get open shots, they did not go down. Uh, forcing Alabama to create their own opportunities in which Clemson's help defense was just too, too stout. It, it's really, really, as a basketball fan, you have to admire what Brad Brownell's doing at Clemson on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, forced Alabama that night into uh, efficient field goal percentage of 33%. But Alabama, though, that defense, it we we seen the ceiling for it. We've seen what it can be. Uh, there's there's groundwork here. And all, you ta- all we've talked about for a long time was how well Alabama is offensively, how well Nate Oates' offense works. It, it's a proven system. He proved it at Buffalo. It worked very well last year. But – defensively, this is what we're starting to see from Alabama. Uh, and it showed in that game holding Clemson below their average scoring mark of 70 points per game, uh, allowing them only to score 64 points. Uh, but Alabama forcing turnovers, 21 turnovers on the game Alabama forced, uh, 17 of which were steals, and held Clemson to less than 0.9 points per possession, which is – a lot of people look at points, which I, it's the easiest thing to look at. It's right there. It's the easiest thing for you. Easiest stat to look up is points per game and opponents' points per game. But points per possession, if you can keep that below 0.9 points per possession, you're going to have a very good defensive uh, effort and a really good game, typically, if your shots are falling. But that was, that was, that was, that was, what I took away from the game. It's, it's one of the factors of the game was Alabama's defense. But, again, James, Alabama's offense, it just didn't – shots weren't falling. Yeah. I uh, couldn't get the shots to fall. And, you you know, you know Nate Oates loves those hustle stats, those, those blue-collar points, uh, all the things that he talks about regularly. And Alabama just didn't get enough of those. He, Nate Oates was clearly frustrated uh, after the game. I actually – I asked him about uh, getting 56 points on 56 shots, and his response was, it's not very good, is it? And uh, it's not very good. You never want to have the same number of shots taken that you scored points in a game. Uh, You're not going to win too many games uh, like that. But the the keys that Nate Oates pointed out, you know, they lost the rebounding battle. And we've we've said it over and over. This team has to rebound if they're going to win games. throughout the long run of the season, if they're going to make it to the NCAA tournament and, and make a run. Uh, they weren't able to do that. Uh, second chance points, they just got absolutely uh, destroyed on second chance points. I, I think they had zero at the end of the game. And Clemson had quite a few. So you, you just you got to clean those things up. You got to do better on the offensive boards, uh, better on the defensive boards. Make sure that you are – out there and doing the fundamental things that are such a, a big part of Nate Oates' system because, you know, defensively you can force turnovers all day. You can uh, shoot threes and hopefully knock them down more than you did in this game. But if you can't win any of the hustle battles, you, you're not going to be able to pull away from these really good teams that you end up playing. And Clemson, 
they fit into that category. They're not a traditional basketball school, but they're going to go deep in this tournament the way they play. Yeah, and James, we've been preaching it on this podcast all season long, even though there's only been five games this season. We've been preaching it two weeks before, the week before, and throughout uh, the season to date. For Alabama to win, they have to play defense in the half court, they have to rebound the ball, and they have to shoot very efficiently from the field. Uh, We've seen, we saw against uh, UNLV, second half against UNLV, we saw the whole game, which is very complete performance by Alabama uh, against Providence, where they just dominated all three of those areas, uh, all three of those key factors for a successful season. But we saw defense in the half court here against Clemson and didn't see efficient from the field, didn't see good shooting, didn't see rebounding, as you mentioned, getting got out-rebounded by 24. 24 out-rebounded by Alabama was and missed 39 shots. And, James, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say – that Alabama is going to shoot like this uh, for the rest of the season. Like, we know they're not going to. Yeah. This, there's, there's some dogs on the team that can shoot the ball and shoot the cover off the ball. But it means nothing. Like, you have bad shooting nights. That's basketball. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Alabama's had two in the first two weeks of the season. Right. But Against two of the best defensive teams in the country. But you, you're going to have to play them eventually if you're going to make a deep tournament run. That's right, but you've got to pick that up in the other areas. And the other key factor, rebounding ball, they did not do it because rebounding, as we all know, leads to offense, as as does good defense. Uh, And we saw when Alabama made a run late in that game or in the middle of the second half of that game, Alabama was forcing turnovers. They They were getting missed shots, and they were running against Clemson, which Clemson could not stand, had to call a timeout, and they reset, unfortunately. But I mean, you've got to put together – this is the story for Alabama this year. You've got to put together a complete performance in those three key areas, rebounding, shooting, and defending. That's that's the name of the game, yep. right? Run, shoot, and score. I mean, that's it. That is the, the simplest form of the, the game. Uh, now, let's look forward a little bit. we got tonight's matchup against Furman. You'd love to say that you get to come off of a, a neutral site loss and, and pick up a, a great little – uh, morale victory, but this one's not going to be that easy, is it? It's not. Furman, one of the best mid-majors in the country, uh, below Gonzaga, which Gonzaga is just uh, – They're far and away above everybody. They're far and away the best. But uh, Furman, one of the best mid-majors in the country. They're top 70 in Ken Palm. Uh, they're top 90 in defense, adjusted defense. Then they score the ball. They score the ball. We look – they're top 40 – in points per game, they score 86 points per game uh, behind. Now, last year, this is Bob Ritchie. Bob Ritchie, really good coach for Furman. Yeah. Uh, last year, Furman came in the Col- Coleman Coliseum and played a very close game against Alabama. People forget yeah. Alabama won by 12 at the end. But Furman hung tough for a long time behind the play of a player that's now gone, graduated out, Jordan Lyons, who averaged 16 points a game for him. Uh, but – now Jordan Lyons is gone, you might expect, looking on the face of it, Furman to you know, have a little bit of a letdown, but they haven't. They have, excuse me. 
Furman hasn't. They've played very well behind the stellar offensive offensive performances of uh, Mike Bothwell and Clay Mounts. Those are yeah. your two players to look for. They have four players average in double figures, but these two are clearly uh, the best veteran leadership on the team, the best players on the team right now. Yep, you got Bothwell uh, scoring over 17, almost 18 points a game. He's shooting 38% from three. I mean, he, he's going to be the guy on the perimeter that you, you've got to make sure that you shut down. And then, of course, as you said, Clay Mounts averaging 16 points a game. I mean, that duo is getting them 34 points right there. So you got to be keyed in on those two guys. And, and with these mid-major schools, that's, that's the key is they usually have one or two guys who are going to carry the team if they're able to stick with these big programs. And so for Alabama, you have to be locked in on those guys. Make sure that you do not let one of them or both of them go off for above their average because the more points they score, the, the harder it's going to be for Alabama to keep pace. But I, I like Alabama in this one. Uh, as you said, they, they rate well in the points per game category, but so does Alabama. And uh, when you look at this Alabama team, obviously more depth. Uh, they've, they've got a deeper roster, just more talent in general. And so when you get two teams that want to do the same thing, more often than not, the one with more talent is going to come out victorious. Uh, it, it's not going to be easy, though, as we've, we've touched on here. Uh, Furman's going to play very, very well. They're very well coached. And so if you're Alabama, you know, look for, look for those perimeter shots to start falling early. Because you want to you want to get that big lead to start off. We've talked about it before. Because you don't want to get into a a back and forth battle with these smaller schools. Absolutely, especially against a very dangerous team like Furman. I mean, this team over half of their field goals, uh, over half the shots they take are from three, and of those shots, they make thirty seven percent of them from uh, as a team. A very good shooting team. Um, defensively, they play very aggressive. Uh, mostly man coverage. They've been known to go zone sometimes, two, three zones sometimes, but mostly man coverage. Um, but they play very aggressively, a lot like Clemson. Always have a hand in passing lanes. Always uh, get good ball pressure. And you said it, James. You can't, even though this is a mid-major team, you can't really sleep on them because this is Furman, as we all know. I think it was a couple, two, two seasons ago. This uh, Bob Ritchie had this team ranked. In the country, it might have been really early last season. Bob Ridgie had this team like right. I think it was. I think it was. This is this is a really good basketball team, and Alabama, you're going to have to. I mean, you've got to bounce back. You've got to find the way to bounce back. Find the way to make shots early, and set the tone offensively going into the game. Try and find a way to get open shots, and really something we didn't see Alabama do very much of last game because the shots weren't falling. Um, trust the offense, trust the sets you run, and, let, and take the shots when you can. Yeah, and I think this is the perfect time uh, to have a home game. You know, when you're starting to lose that trust in your shot, lose that trust in uh, the offensive rhythm, get back where, you, where you're used to playing. Play on that court that you play on every day, that you're used, you're used to the sight lines, you're used to – uh, you know, how the, the arena is set up because that really does matter. The surroundings of the goal uh, are play a big factor 
and how you're able to shoot. So Alabama being able to get back in their home gym, hopefully they will have uh, a really good shooting performance tonight. But let's go ahead and look forward now uh, at Saturday's matchup. We originally were scheduled to play Houston. I had my notes uh, set up, but we had we had heard that it was a possibility, if not likely, that Houston would not be playing uh, with the COVID issues that they have on their team. Uh, Kelvin Sampson has had uh, some issues with it. Uh, now it has spread to the team, and so they are shut down. And Alabama has found a new opponent to face on Saturday. Uh, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers will be coming to Tuscaloosa. And I know, Luke, you feel very strongly about their coach. I do. Uh, uh, <laughs> Rick Stansberry, a former coach, legendary coach at uh, – well, legendary – I don't know. I don't know about that. Mississippi State back in the day uh, for the most 2000s. Uh, he's the coach at Western Kentucky now. And I got some things for Rick Stansberry later when we go to my notes. Mm. So I'm not going to give it all away now. But if, you, if you're an Alabama basketball fan and an Alabama basketball traditionalist, you are pumped, salivating at the opportunity to play a Rick Stansberry team in Coleman Coliseum uh, this weekend. But – I got, like I said, I got some things for Rick Stans very later. Um, but right now, let's look at his team. Obviously, James led behind the tremendous play of Charles Bassey, who we thought wouldn't be there this year. Yeah. Uh, Charles Bassey, I mean, ever since he was a, a freshman, he's a junior now, and people forget this guy's a five star prospect uh, who went to Western Kentucky. And he's really been considered an NBA draft target ever since and uh he continues to come back I and mean, he's had some some injuries that have set him back a little bit some some outstanding factors that have led him to come back each year but now as a junior he's a well-rounded player he, he's experienced and he's just as talented as he's ever been so uh, charles bassey a guy that you really got to watch out for 6 11 235 uh, your prototype center uh what you're looking for and so you got to watch out for him. He, he's going to be their best player, uh, but he's not going to be their only player. You know, we talked about a lot of these mid-major schools. They've only got one or two guys that can beat you. That's not the case at Western Kentucky. Uh, they're a very good team. They're considered uh, one of those bubble teams that, uh, like Murray State a few years ago, if you remember, that even if they lose their conference tournament, they might steal one of those at-large bids and get one of those play-in games or, or possibly one of those 11, 12 seeds somewhere. Uh, Western Kentucky, the other players to look out for, for sure, Tavian Hollinsworth, uh, he is their, their leader, their senior guard. Uh, he scores at a tremendous level. Uh, you got Jordan Rawls. He's a sophomore guard who, not, not necessarily the same pedigree, but somebody who is a very well-rounded, very good player. And then you've got uh, this guy, we were talking about him before the show, Carson Williams, 6'5 forward, a redshirt senior and transfer from Northern Kentucky. He's a guy who the numbers will tell you that he's a rotation piece, five and a half points a game, uh, you know, one and a half threes per game. But I love to, I love to give you those guys that you got to watch out for, that you can't let get loose. Maybe they're not the best player on the team. Maybe they're not a huge part of the team every game. But when they do go off, it is bad news for whoever they're playing, and that's Carson Williams. 
he seems to do his best work uh, in the big games. And so he'll come out ready for sure against Alabama. Uh, he's played well against Memphis earlier this season. He played well against Louisville uh, earlier. West Virginia, he had a nice game. And so he's a guy that you, you can't let him get loose because if he's hitting on all cylinders, uh, that just makes this Western Kentucky team that much harder to stop. Well, and two, it's bad news, not just bad news for the opponents, whatever you give us players and uh, players to look out for and they show off, but it's bad news for his podcast too, because you get to come on the next week and say how you were right. Much <laughs> like you were right about Leaky Black that one time. Leaky uh, Black we all remember. last season. Leaky we all Black. Remember. Uh, no, a guy I'm wanting – you've got your usual suspects, like you said, your top two players on the team in Charles Bassey and Tavion Hollingsworth. Very good players on the team, averaging 16 points per game. And Charles Bassey, of course, grabbing the majority of their rebounds, in which uh, Western Kentucky ranks the top 75 in offensive rebounding, offensive rebound percentage in the country. But a player I'm looking for – I'm looking out for if – I'm Nate Oates, and I'm playing for his game. It's one Jordan Rawls, a guard, sophomore yeah. guard. He's got a very good uh, offensive rating per 100 possessions. Uh, solid player for uh, Rick Stansberry at Kentucky. But looking at the team at the ho- at a whole, this is pretty much much like Clemson was. Uh, not defensively, of course, but – in terms of being an antithesis of Alabama and the style they want to play. I mean, yeah. Western Kentucky is 225th in the country in tempo, 223rd in uh, opponents' points per game in which they, you know, give up uh, points to their opponents. I mean, they're 82nd in t- Ken Palm. They're a very good team. But this is a team that slows it down. This is a team that plays their sets in the half court. And obviously uh, – tries to get the ball inside the Charles Bassey and let him uh, t- go to town on whatever poor fer- poor fellow is guarding him. But this is this is a team that pretty much antithesis of Alabama in terms of scoring, uh, in terms of the way they score and the way they play their offense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the bottom teams in tempo, but one of the top teams in luck. That's a Kim Palm rating that he gives out. Western Kentucky ranks 24th in the country in luck. So, so watch out for those lucky bounces because they will come for Western Kentucky. Uh, Kim Palm has assured us of that. Yeah, well, and <laughs> that's that's been the story of Alabama for a long time. Is yeah. we say it as, and people see it as an excuse, but we're being completely serious. Alabama is a very unlucky team, uh, ranked in the. Uh, yeah, I mean, let me let me pull it up. All right, two hundred and thirty fifth, Alabama is in luck. Yeah, so big gap between them and Western Kentucky when it comes to the luck factor. That's right, and when we say Alabama is a very unlucky team, uh, this is what we mean. They are they like statistically one of the most unlucky teams in the country. Uh, and they get this weekend, this Saturday, to play Western Kentucky and Coleman Coliseum, who is one of the best, one of the most lucky teams in the country. So it is what it is. Uh, but Alabama, this is a game where if Alabama runs, they're not a very good defensive team. They don't rebound the ball very well, except on the offensive boards. Mm-hmm. That's where Western Kentucky thrives at. They're top 75 in the country there, which is very good for a mid-major team. This is a game where Alabama could thrive or should thrive in playing 
to their strengths, those three factors we talked about earlier. Yeah. Half-court defense, rebounding, and shooting in the, at an average mark, just an average mark for Alabama. They don't have to shoot stellar. Just an average mark will win the game for Alabama most times. This is a game where they can – the opportunity is there for them to do that. Yeah, I think they, there is a very good chance for them to do that. They've got to make sure that they play their game, don't go into Western Kentucky's game. But, again, they're on their home floor. That always helps when you're trying to assert your play style over somebody else's. And this is a win if they get it that this is going to be a nice little resume builder because, like I said, Western Kentucky, you know, they're ranked pretty high at Kimpom. They're only going to go up once conference play starts because they shouldn't be losing too many games in conference. You know, you look at Western Kentucky, if they're one of those bubble teams at the end, like I said, uh, that's trying to get in regardless of whether they win their conference tournament and Alabama has a nice win over them, that's going to look pretty good uh, to the analytics crews that uh, do the net, Ken Palm, all of those numbers that matter when you're trying to get into the tournament field. So a great opportunity to pick up a good win for Alabama. Coming up this Saturday, when we come back, though, uh, we're going to talk about some of the things that went on this weekend. We'll talk about Keontae Johnson, uh, what happened to him. We'll talk about Nate Oates and Coach K when we come back on the Bama Baseline Podcast. Welcome back into the Bama Baseline Podcast. A lot went on over the weekend in college basketball. Of course, Saturday, uh, if you were watching the 10 a.m. tip-off against uh, Florida and Florida State, one of the, the big rivalries uh, that was played this weekend. Uh, Keontae Johnson, preseason player of the year in the SEC and, and Florida's best player, uh, had a very bizarre, a freak injury uh, that took place as he was returning to the court after, after a, a big, a monster dunk, uh, really a sports center top 10 play just moments before. Uh, coming out of a timeout, uh, he collapsed on the court. He was taken to the hospital there in Tallahassee where they were playing, uh, spent time there in a medically induced coma. And then he's now back in Gainesville. They say he is responsive. He's able to respond to basic commands. And so uh, just a really, really tragic story and something that has kind of rocked the college basketball world. It has um, everyone talking, everyone uh, sending their thoughts and prayers uh, over this last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, James, we like to have fun on this program, but uh, right now we'd just we'd be out of our minds not to touch on this and send our well wishes and thoughts, prayers, positive vibes and everything towards uh, Keontae Johnson, the Florida program, his family, Coach Mike White, that coaching staff entirely, because we know what type of player he is. He was a very exciting player on that Florida team for the past couple of years and uh, it's just it's it's so tragic. And if you haven't, it, it, I'm, if you're listening, you haven't seen the video, please don't because it is, it's it makes your jaw drop. It's scary to watch uh, what happened to him, and we don't know what happened to him. But all we can do is just send our best vibes, uh, best wishes, and the thoughts and prayers to his family in that program. Yeah, and obviously we, we don't want to speculate on things. A lot of people have speculated, but we're, uh, we're not the doctors in there. We, we only have the updates that come through uh, from the reporters that are following it and from the university as they put things out. Uh, so, so no speculation on, on what it is. But as someone 
I'll say as someone who has passed out during sporting events before, I have heart issues that I've dealt with. It is the most terrifying thing uh, to see someone else go through that. And obviously this is a very serious issue for him still in a hospital. Um, the need of a medically induced coma, that's not something that they just do uh, as a precaution. That, that was a serious uh, issue that he's facing. And so it could be a long road for them. I know Florida has canceled their latest game. Uh, so they will, they will be taking at least a, a brief break as these players try to deal with uh, what happened on Saturday. So it's terrible news there, but, you know, college basketball continues to be played. That's something that we always know sports will go on and sports is sometimes the best way to heal uh, from these kinds of things is to watch and to uh, interact with sports. So as we continue to watch college basketball, we know that the entire college basketball community is, is watching and uh, keeping up with the story with Keontae. But uh, let's, get, let's get in now to, to some of the other things that went on this weekend, specifically the end of a feud, a short-lived feud, but the end of a feud. An exhausting feud it was, James. Uh, if you're any type, any type of person like me and defend Alabama basketball and the program at every turn, because you're a big homer like myself. But last week, uh, a couple days prior to Alabama playing Clemson in Atlanta, which we've already talked about, but mm -hmm. uh, Nate Oates was asked about a comment that one Coach K made, Mike Krzyzewski made. Uh, uh, are you familiar with Coach K, James? Do I need to explain? Or? I know his work uh, as Christian Leitner and Grayson Allen's coach, yes. Yeah, the very same, James. But – uh, he said that in, that uh, maybe it's time for us to in the NCAA to reassess whether we should be playing basketball or not uh, due to, of course, the pandemic of which we could not be more aware of. Yeah. But the problem was the man said it following a demoralizing loss against Illinois, the second demoralizing loss of which – uh, Duke has had this season, the first coming, of course, in Michigan State. Both in Cameron Indoor, Duke's lost two non-conference home games in Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, unprecedented. <laughs> unprecedented, really. But it couldn't have come in the worst time for him. And Coach Oates was asked about it at the press conference. And <laughs> he, said, he said what we were thinking. And, and apparently he's the only one in the country – that took the initiative on it, uh, said that he, he proposed the question back to said reporter who asked the question, said, do you know, do you think Coach K had the same attitude if he hadn't lost two non-conference home games, which I could not be more proud of my head coach for saying that because if there's anything I love, it's a feud. Uh, James, <laughs> you know I love a feud. Uh, I've had very decorated past with SEC coaches and players, many feuds before, but uh, – and Coach Oates said that, and the college basketball world, the media, the co specifically ACC coaches, yeah, yeah. ACC coaches, who have – what are they getting from this? They dog this man down uh, because he dared ask and dared question the judgment of one Mike Krzyzewski uh, because we know his judgment is unquestionable because he's the highest tier of the highest tier of coaches in – college basketball and he's got the pedigree he's got the duke shine to him and how dare he have any you know ulterior motives or anything like that when it comes to 
canceling basketball. And I got to be honest, I, I, uh, I enjoyed it for a little while because here was Alabama at the top of the sports media world in basketball. You know, you can talk about Alabama football any day on the ESPN and yeah. be just fine. But here was Alabama saying what I believe was the right thing and being put on top of all the sports media and sports media programming in the country. Now, now here's the here's the distinction, and I'll play devil's advocate here for you. And was what he said correct? Possibly. I, I mean, there's no way to know for sure what Coach K's uh, motives were, and, and I think that based off of some previous statements he had given, he probably did feel that way, but. Coach K also should have said it at a different time than when he did. Maybe, maybe in the pre-game press conference or the pre, you know, the couple day before press conference for the next game, not not the post game for the the game you just lost. Well, Nate Oates, when when you respond like that, it's never the right thing to do as a coach. You never want your your program to be in that position, and I think that's why he apologized like he did. Now, it's very clear from the the reports that came out following that there were a lot of coaches that agreed with Nate Oates. They just weren't going to be the one who sat on a podium and said it. Well, of course, you know, and that's where I love Nate Oates at, is because Nate Oates will say the thing that needs to be said, whether everybody's saying it or not, he'll say it. Um, not in an outlandish way, but in, in a way where, like, oh, we're all thinking it. Why not just say it? And he did. Uh, he apologized for it, and I, 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 I wouldn't, uh, certainly I wouldn't have. I wouldn't apologize to Coach K for anything, but I say that as a man on the podcast, uh, not a basketball coach at a major university. So but it was very – it was fun. And you don't have millions of dollars on the line there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I'm just a man who does podcasts for free. But yeah. – but, you know, I, I get where, he's, where it comes from, but for a couple of days there, it was nice to have a national discourse yeah. about Coach Oates, about Coach K, certainly, because I think he's gone unchecked for too long, to be honest. And it was nice to see somebody check him up, and, of course, it was our basketball coach and our program getting the national spotlight. Uh, I've, you've heard of the phrase – I'm a PR man. You've heard the phrase, there's no such thing as bad publicity. All publicity yep. is good publicity. Yep. Uh, that's not true, <laughs> categorically, but it kind of was here because a lot of people felt the same way that Coach Oates did, uh, and even though it got run through on the, the sports media cycles uh, that we are, we're all very familiar with as a bad imaging, I think there are very much more people out there who empathize with what Coach Oates originally said before the apology, which I wouldn't have done. Then again, I'm just a man talking on into a microphone. But there we were at the top. Of, we had a national conversation about Alabama basketball and the hypocrisies of those who were in power, such as Coach K and Jim Beheim. Yeah, and I, I do think also one thing to touch on here is, you know, Oates made the big headline at the start of his statement there. You know, he asked the question back to the reporter and she said, yes, that, that was what got run. What he said after that, I think was the actual interesting part. And that's the sad part about this is once you say coach K's name and question him in some way, everything after that is cut out. He made good points on, you know, the benefits of 
players being on campus, of players being with the team. And I think it was also interesting in his apology, the thing I appreciated most about the apology, um, obviously it was as as a PR move, something that you had to do, uh, but as a, as a follow-up to his, you know, I apologize statement, he added that not everything that is best for his program is what's best for another program. And he kind of touched on that's why it was wrong for him to say that because that's true in so many ways. And it's something that so many people should consider just because one program feels like they need to do things a certain way to keep their players safe. doesn't mean that it's the way that everyone should go or that they're even asserting that it's the way everyone should go. And so I thought that was an important uh, thing that Nate Oates made clear in his second statement, something that he touched on in his first statement as well. Things that that matter when you're talking about um, the pandemic and everything that's going with it. Well, and that works both ways too, what you said. One one thing may work for one program and not with, for the other, right? Uh, that works both ways. You know, it's it it's still wrong of Mike Shashevsky, the great Coach K, who of course is untouchable, much like yeah. uh, Kevin Costner in that movie uh, about <laughs> going after Al Capone, the FBI going after Al Capone, uh, untouchable. But <laughs> you can't go out and say if you're Coach K, you can't go out and make a blanket statement for everyone else. Right. You can't make a blanket statement that, well, maybe we as a country and as a governing body, the NCAA should reassess playing basketball. Well, I mean, that's just not true. If it doesn't work for you, go home. I mean, right? And that's uh, Yeah. Like, and they have. <laughs> I think they have gone home, yeah. Uh, coincidentally, two hours after – one, Nate Oates made his statement uh, about, well, maybe we should, you know, question if question Coach K's motives here because maybe he wouldn't have the same attitude if he had won those two games he lost in demoralizing fashion. But, I mean, the, story, the moral of the story here is that <laughs> – and I think it's the opinion of this podcast. James, I'm going to opine for you here. Mm-hmm. I think it's the opinion for this, of this podcast – that what basketball should be played because we've seen that across the country the coronavirus is ramping back up and thank goodness the vaccine's coming out but coronavirus is ramping back up it doesn't make very much sense to have players go home for an extended period of time and although it is a tough time of year to be away from home being the holiday season though it doesn't make very much sense to for players to leave a bubble-like program, a bubble-like environment, and go home and risk getting the virus and bringing it back to the coaching staff, to the managers, to their other players, it doesn't make very much sense. You know, when this season was ramping up, when they were planning out this basketball season, a bunch of people circled this month of December because no college students are on campus anywhere in the country in the month of December right now, the whole month. A bunch of everybody went home at Thanksgiving. Yeah. This is an opportunity for – this was this is how the NCAA and a bunch of teams are getting their season in. They're playing a bunch of games in a place where there's nobody at. There's very little to no risk right now uh, if you're a college basketball player, unless you're, you know, albeit stupid and go out and get it yourself. There's very little risk for you to get coronavirus right now. And this was an opportunity for – Everyone to play eight, nine games in the month of December for students come back on campus and have any sort of 
resemblance of a college basketball season. It's and I'd say that to say this: it's the opinions podcast that we play basketball. Play yeah. basketball. Is that too much to ask right now? Like nobody's in the gyms, nobody's in the coliseums. <laughs> take your take your twenty guys, bubble them up I, I, the best opportunity you have, and play basketball. It, it, it just it, that's, that's I think that's the opinion of Nate Oates too. He made it clear it's it's more beneficial to play right now for the outlook of the season, for the NCAA, for these student athletes, for everyone really to play basketball, and they should. Yeah, and I, I will add to that that I still have – I agree that we should be playing basketball right now. I still have concerns about the season finishing. Oh, but that has it. nothing to do with right now – because right now, as you said, there's no students on campus. This is as close to a bubble as the NCAA has said they are willing to go. And with no students on campus, as you said, it's it's a lot easier to tell these these players, you know, come straight from your dorm to the practice gym, take your test, and then practice. You know, that it's a lot easier to do that and only have this insulated group of your team. And if, if you get it within the team, there's nothing you can do about that. But once students come back, my concern is so many of these colleges are just saying, we're coming back. You know, we're just coming back. Yeah. And the vaccine's not going to be that widely distributed by the time we all are back on campus in January. So now what? I I do have concerns later down the line, but I think right now is, as you said, the safest time to be playing. And the NCAA will have to figure out, and colleges themselves will have to figure out uh, when the time does come for students to return to campus, how do we address it, not just for our student athletes, but for our student body as a whole. Yeah. You know what we call this, James? What do we call it? Surviving and advancing. Yeah, that's what it is right now in the college basketball landscape. Well, anyways, James, I think it's good to break here. We'll break here. Audience, we're going to come back after the break. I'm going to give you my notes from the college basketball weekend, and we'll have a list for you. Uh, So stick around. You're listening to the Bama Baseline Podcast. Welcome back to the Bama Baseline Podcast, the original Alabama basketball podcast. I'm Luke Ratliff along with James Fletcher. James, I don't know if you watch a lot of stuff happening in college basketball this weekend. There is. A lot of things going on. A lot, a lot of exciting games. Uh, but, as always, we're at our – my favorite segment of the show, to be honest. We started up this for this season. Yeah. I take notes every college basketball every college basketball weekend. I write them down. And I bring them to you, the listener. So, James, if you don't mind, I'd like to read my notes from the college basketball weekend. All right, let's get to Luke's notes. All right, James, after holding off a late charge from Illinois in winning eighty-one to seventy-eight in Como. Missouri and Kwanzaa Martin's Tigers are back. Oh, yeah. Oh, James, the bragging rights. They're in bracketology now. They're, they're rising their way through. They're ranked. They're 16th in the country. Yeah. Oh, the bragging rights. I miss the bragging rights. Uh, you know who else is back after that game? College basketball officials. They are back <laughs> in a big way. Uh. <laughs> but listen, let's talk about who isn't back. You know who isn't back? Who's not back? 
Kentucky. Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> thought they would be back. They're not back. Still not back. Kentucky one and four for the first time since 1928. James, how does this happen? Ooh, there's really? been two pandemics since then. <laughs> <laughs> like we look, you see these guys. Kentucky thinks the talent's there. You know, you look at the preseason; they had their pro day on TV, right? Yeah. And then they had they have an exhibition game that was on the SEC Network. I can't remember, but man, they the talents there. They shot the cover off the ball. They can each one of them can jump out of the gym, but they're one they're one and four. That's the thing. You watch them and they look good. They just can't they can't win. <laughs> they can't do it. Oh, Duke is two and two with two with two demoralizing losses to Michigan State and Illinois in Cameron Indoor. They've canceled their non the rest of their non conference schedule. They're also ranked number twenty two in the country according to the AP poll. Man. Why? Why are they number twenty two in the country? I don't get it. Speaking of Duke, okay, get over yourself, man. <laughs> I know we just spent a lot of time on this, but it, it, he's not untouchable. All right, we I, like I know Coach K's got shooters. Guy's not untouchable. Uh, college basketball media, how much is he paying you to stroke <laughs> his ego on television? You could build a new, you could build a new arena here in Alabama with what they're paying, what he's paying the college basketball media to stroke his massive ego. <laughs> Jim Bayhide, Coach K isn't going to go out with you. Stop <laughs> defending him and his every move. You know what? You know what Jim Bayham needs to do, James. What's he need to do? Keep his eye on the road. <laughs> I think. Have you dropped one of those every week that we've done this segment now? I think you have. I don't know what you're talking about, James. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to keep his eye on the road. Put the past in the rearview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Western Kentucky, Alabama, this Saturday. You know what that is, James? What's that? Appointment television. Yeah, you're not. I'm going to say you're not an Alabama basketball fan if you don't actively hate Rick Stansberry. I mean, this guy, James. You may not remember Rick Stansberry. He was he was like he, he's the original Will Wade. Will <laughs> yeah. stole the model yeah. from Rick Stansberry and is using it as a southern more a southernmost location. That's what he's doing. Uh, James, you know what the S in Stansberry stands for? Which which one? Both of them, James. <laughs> all right, all right. What, what, what does it stand for? Dollar signs. Yeah. Creighton. You get it, James? You get it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Creighton, with two losses over the weekend, one to Kansas, one to Marquette. Two losses. Yeah. You know what it looks like? What does it look like? Looks like they could have really used Josh Primo. They could have. Yeah, James, those are my notes from the college basketball weekend. All right. A little bit lighter on Creighton than I thought you were going to go, but uh, <laughs> some good notes nonetheless. Well, they could really use the Josh Primo. I mean, they really should have closed the deal on him. Greg McDermott should have closed the deal on him. Yeah. Probably should have, but uh, Alabama swooped in and stole him away, but – we now will close out the show with our world-famous list segment, uh, Appointment Podcast. 
listening our list segment every year, or every every week, I should say. Not every year. We would do it quite a few times a year. Yeah, we're lazy enough to do this every week. Right. What is what is our list this week? Our list this week, James, you know, I don't know if you've noticed outside, but it's December and it's getting cold. It's starting to get cold. Which means it's the holiday season. And so our list this week as we is as we all know, uh, sports media platforms, the pinnacle of the sports media formula is lists. Stephen A. Smith does one every Monday yep. on first take because it's just the easiest thing anyone could ever do. So we steal from that because we're a very lazy podcast. I don't know if you've listened to us yet, but we do that and we bring you a list this week. Our five favorite Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Oh. James, if you're prepared, go first because I got right. some stuff on here. All right, here we go. We're going from number five up to one. Number five, and I had to include this one. I'm going with Die Hard. Just to make people mad. I don't even care if it's a Christmas movie or not. I got to put it at number five, though, to make people see mad. That you've made me mad already. Just to make people mad. Got to have it on there. I say Christmas movie, James. Christmas movie. All right, moving forward, I promise they'll all be very, very Christmassy just to compensate for that one. All right. Frosty the Snowman coming in at number four. Oh, one of the old animation films. One of the classic animations mm-hmm. of all time. Number three, we're going to go with the animated Grinch, not the live action one. That one is horrifying. I'm not a fan of that movie, but the new animated one, so well done. Perfect. I was, I was about to ask you if it was because they've done two animated ones. They did the really yeah. old one, yeah. and then they did the new one a couple of years ago. So you're saying the new one. The new one, I believe, is the best one in it's terms the, of the Grinch. It's your third favorite. All right. Number three. Number two, and if you want to fight me on this being a movie and call it a Christmas special, that's your prerogative. But a Charlie Brown Christmas. Going to come it, in at number two. I'll allow it because it's a very good it's a very good television special. It is, and it I'll comes on each year. I, I heard, you know, Apple TV was trying to steal the rights to it, take it off of TV, and they failed in their attempt. The people rioted in the streets until they brought it back. Uh, to PBS, and so again this year you will be able to watch it on just your normal television set. Corporate, corporate greed finally caught up with Apple. They can't they buy the rights to anything. They can they can make phones, use children to make phones, but Charlie but they Brown cannot Christmas. steal a Charlie Brown Christmas from us. That's no. where the, the buck stops there. Yes, and number one, and it's not even close. I mean, it's just a different league, really. Elf. Yeah. Now, I get together every year, every single year, uh, me and one of my best friends, I've uh, been friends our whole lives. Our families get together for Christmas, and every year, our parents, since we were probably, I'd say, five or six, our parents have said, what movie do you want to watch? And the answer every year is Elf. And so it has become a running tradition for almost 15 straight years we have watched Elf at Christmas when we meet with uh, his family, the the adults are sick of it. You know, they every year they beg us to watch something else. We refuse all of the kids band together and make the vote five to four in favor of Elf. Yeah, absolutely. And w- one thing I learned about Elf this past week, actually, yeah. was that 
the scenes where Will Ferrell dressed as Elf, Buddy the Elf, is yeah. walking down the streets and interacting with people on the sidewalks of New York City. Those were not actors. Those were real people, much like in Midnight <laughs> Cowboy when, yeah. uh, when he said, hey, I'm walking here. That's, yeah. that's one of the most beautiful things about <laughs> that movie is that everybody that's very natural and very organic, uh, yes. all the reactions of people when uh, Will Ferrell is doing his antics on the mean streets of New York. Yeah. I also, uh, side note on, on the elf here, my friend, the, the aforementioned friend, he has a full Buddy the Elf costume that he'll break out uh, around Christmas time every year. He's got the tights, the hat, all the whole whole thing. And he's about 6'4", six, 6'5", six, so really looks the part of Will Ferrell uh, when he dresses up in his elf costume. Absolutely. Well, James, that's a good five. I think it's a good five. Thank uh, you. One glaring omission that I will talk about in a second yeah. uh, when we go through my list. But all right. Here, with much fanfare and delight, the audience can get to hear my top five favorite Christmas movies. It leads me in the holiday spirit every year whenever I watch at least one of these movies. But here it is. The number five Christmas movie, in my opinion, Home Alone 2. Home Alone? I, see, I debated. That probably would have made the list if I wasn't just saying Die Hard to get on people's nerves. Yeah, well, that I mean, yes, because you love to get under people's skin about trivial things such as Die Hard being a Christmas movie, which, for the record, it's not. But Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Mm-hmm. That's, it's, it's my second favorite Home Alone, actually. But, oh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe Pesci, though, and I'll talk about it here because my fourth favorite movie is Home Alone. Joe Pesci, every movie he's in, it doesn't matter if it's one of his classic mob movies, the only movie he's in that he doesn't get absolutely beat up is My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. I find that very strange. It, like it just, <laughs> Every movie, if he were in a horror movie, he'd be the first one killed. All right? but yeah. Every movie he's in, other than My Cousin Vinny, just gets the, he just gets the daylights knocked out of him with every turn. But Home Alone, fourth favorite Christmas movie. Third for me, number three Christmas movie, according to me. The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Oh, oh it's that's good. a good it's one. Too. Yeah. Love the Santa Claus. Number two, of course, is Elf, as you just mentioned. Yes. Top of your list. It's got to be on the top. Uh, Will Ferrell as an elf in the mean streets of New York looking for his father and trying to <laughs> rekindle the Christmas spirit with all those famous people, very, uh, very friendly people in New York City. Number one Christmas movie, according to me, and James, I really can't believe you missed this. It's Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation? You know, I've only seen it once. You're lying. Are you serious? I've only seen it once, yeah. I'll have to watch it again this year. Uh, Maybe I'm not giving it its its credit. It's the most quotable movie of all time. You've only seen it once? You're you're 21 years old. 21 years old, only seen it one time. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I'll have to go back and watch it. Before Alabama plays Furman tonight, please yeah. go watch. We left just okay. enough time here. I think I have just about the exact runtime left. It is it is the most quotable movie of all time. Chevy Chase, few times has he been – you know, he's never been better than he was in Christmas Vacation. Hmm. Uh, it's and, and the Chevy Chase rankings for me, it's Christmas Vacation, uh, him that one year on SNL when he did uh, – 
weekend update and he just had the recurring bit about Generalissimo Franco, Francisco yeah. Franco being dead. Like those, that's that's the pinnacle for Chevy Chase was Christmas Vacation. Go watch that movie as All soon right. as we finish here. I will. All right. Well, you said when we finish here, so I better get started because we are done for this week. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening uh, to this week's show. This is the Bama Baseline Podcast. I'm James Fletcher. And I am Luke Ratliff. Be sure to listen, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Like and subscribe. Uh, listen to us. We appreciate you listening. Our audience grows every week. But thank you again for listening to the Bama Baseline Podcast, the original Alabama basketball podcast.